Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is a brilliant scientist, and we're talking about brain health. We're talking about nervous system health. We're talking about the myelination of nerves. My guest wrote a book called Breaking Alzheimer's, which if you or anyone you know has any issues, whether it's cognitive or dementia or whatever the case may be, this book is for you. And frankly, it talks, it explores and explains a lot of the work that Dayan has done in his career. So Dayan is his first name, Dayan Goodenow. Dr. Dayan Goodenow is his full name. He is the president and CEO of his company called Prodrome Sciences. Dayan has made some incredible discoveries. He's invented a device with which to measure plasmologens, which are the heart and soul of the discoveries that he's made. I'm going to let him tell you all about it. But let me tell you, this is such exciting work. You're going to love this. I loved it. If you decide that you want to get your hands on some of these supplements, you can use the link in the show notes. And that's my practitioner link. And you can go in there and order some stuff. If you have any questions for me, you can reach out to me through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, you can join my new community, the BSP community on Mighty Networks, where in the new year, we're going to be doing a cool experiment. We've arranged this with Prodrome Sciences where people will get to measure their baseline plasmologen levels, do a 30-day supplementation program, and then measure on the other side and see what shift they've seen in their sleep, in their mental clarity. It's going to be awesome. So if you don't know anything about this BSP community, you're going to want to head over to the website, natnidham.com. Look for BSP community and you'll get all the information about what it's all about and how to join. Until then, thank you so much for being here. I totally appreciate you guys. Once again, the website for Dr. Dayan Goodenow is prodromesciences.com. We're going to hear from our sponsor very quickly, and then you get to dive right into the episode. Enjoy. Hey folks, I just had to interrupt to tell you about a new development in the molecular hydrogen space. You guys know that I love molecular hydrogen and that I use it every single day. And when it comes to my hydrogen, I choose rejuvenation from Drink HRW because of the rigorous testing, clinical trials, and their mission to create products backed by science. Well, Drink HRW recently came out with a new hydrogen tablet that I am so excited to tell you about because it's got all of the same benefits of rejuvenation. It combats excess oxygen oxidative stress, it supports healthy aging, and so much more. But this new tablet has a special ingredient called Immunol P20, which works alongside hydrogen to deliver even more benefits. The newest tablet is called Harmony because it does just that. It brings the processes in the body into harmony while supporting respiratory health, maintaining well-being when under stress, and improving metabolic function. I love the feeling of confidence in my health when I think about facing this upcoming fall and winter, knowing that I have support behind my immune and metabolic systems. So I've teamed up with DrinkHRW to bring you a special deal that you can only get here. Just use code longevity to save 15% at drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman and be sure to grab Harmony, which I've been obsessed with since I started using it a month ago. Again, that's longevity at drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman to save 15%. 
Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the show, Day in Good Now. I am so excited about this conversation. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Nat. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, this is, well, we first met a little over a year ago, actually, at an event, and it took me a while to kind of get my head around finally reaching out to you. And I think I was, you know, nobody really knows this about me, but I, deep down inside, I'm a kind of shy person, and though I, I've overcome it somehow, but um, I finally reached out to you through a mutual connection. And when you said yes, I was like, yes, okay, amazing, because this is a topic I think that is critical to be exploring with people. Yeah, it's a crazy um, plasmalgia story. And obviously, I've, my background is is pretty diverse. And you kind of end up getting known for one thing when you've done a million other things. But yeah, so my background is in psych psychiatric care. Um, so my PhD is in understanding the mechanisms of psychiatric diseases. And I'm a synthetic chemist and um, understand biochemical mechanisms of disease. We we have here at our facility in Temecula, probably the most advanced analytical technology in the world. We use ion cyclotrons, um, magnetic sector, inductively coupled plasma, mass specs, triple quads. So basically anything on earth we measure. And when you, when you look at health, as a phenotype, like if you can physically see a difference between person A and person B, there's a biochemical reason behind that. And so there's a causation in disease and people get caught up in the symptomatic portions of the disease, which is obvious, you know, you feel something, you feel sick, you, um, and, say, and that, that triggers this um, inflection point and say, hey, I better do something about this. And, but obviously that's a long-term consequence and people we focus on disease because most of medicine has been acute care and rightfully so you know how do i keep someone from dying in the next two hours for crying out and you need that okay uh, you know you need people that can take care of you instantly but the chronic issues are not really dealt with because like if if you're not spurting blood and gonna die it's kind of say okay you're 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 triaged to something else come back and see me when you got something serious happening to you yeah, and what happens <laughs> yeah exactly and what happens then when we, we when we think of medicine in this format you can see it's logical we say hey how do i compare disease to normal and then we try to age match them because we're trying to figure this out and all that kind of stuff and then we get this disease meant focus and we forget about the other side of the coin which is the healthy side and so, in fact, health is actually far more accurately studied than disease because of all these research studies that we do, we always have a control arm. And so, in fact, we actually have a much higher degree of knowledge and accuracy in measuring health than we do in measuring disease. And then from health, you get a deviation from health. You know, you, 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 so we actually know what health is. And then when you deviate from that health, you are at a risk factor. Like, like type 2 diabetes or whatnot. And these factors, this deviation from health, they're not necessarily immediately symptomatic. And so I tell people disease is person-specific. Okay, your genetic uh, background will give you a predisposition to X, Y, and Z or Z, depending on what side of the border you're on. And then um, the, they, but the stress is quite 
ubiquitously um, around. And so I tell people disease is person specific, but health is person independent. Okay. Health is the same for all of us. Your health, my health are the same. You mean what it looks like, how it express, expresses? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, there's, it's not ambiguity. Like, like if you've made it past your first year of life, fundamentally, you've got a, a functioning genome. Okay. And so, and, and so we don't really reach early infant mortality rates until our sixties. So we have 50 years or so of pretty much, you got to get hit by a bus unless you do something stupid, you're going to, you're not going to die. And then we have this deviation from that health state. And then that deviation from that health state can become quite complex. So one, one deficiency or one deviation can create multiple diseases. Right. And so we get focused on that. And so what I focus on is understanding what that health state is. And it's the old concept that I don't need the engine in my car to seize before I put oil in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's things that I can do and understand that things are supposed to work. You know, the, the human body is designed to function and it's supposed to function. And when it's not working properly, you got to fix it. Even if you don't feel anything. Okay. It's just common sense. And so, and then we look at longevity um, people think of, you know, they get stuck with this portrait of Dorian Gray kind of model where that's not really reality. That's not how the human body works. And people get, there's a lot of things that we, that looks real when you look at it, that, you know, wow, we're programmed to do this and we're programmed to do that. But that's actually not true. The human body adapts to a situation and our development is an adaptation development. Even when you talk about epigenetics and you talk about changes those are adaptations to your environment and your functional needs of the human body. Um, they're not programmed. Okay. They look like they're programmed because we're looking, we're trying to, we're trying to retrace our steps, but that's your body adapting to the current circumstances that it's being presented to. And then that's, so that's what we deal with. And so when you talk about cancer um, incidence rates and understanding prodrome, so that's the whole concept of prodrome sciences is understanding what is the prodrome of these diseases. And, you know, I've studied, I don't even know how, I can't, I lost count, but we can diagnose ovarian cancer and colon cancer and breast cancer and I published and all this stuff long before it happens. Like determine who has the high risk for it. And it becomes the science of bald tires, right? It's this concept of saying, hey, you know, you could have a bald tire in your car and you could drive for years if you're on the right streets and you don't hit the right, bad circumstance you know you could be crazy and you say nothing's wrong with me and never get a flat tire but and the next person with a bald tire can just drive around the corner and have the flat and the, the issue is is that 95 percent of all flat tires if you will occur in bald tires it doesn't mean that every bald tire gets flat but most flat tires were are bald, and that's where, and that's the that's the human epidemiology approach of saying um, risk leads to disease. And you know what we do in cancer, for example, is we take that flat tire, we patch it, and we put the bald tire back on the road again. Which is why the recurrence rates for diseases are always so much higher than incidence rates in people who've never had a disease in the first place. Right. Well, and also the patch is a bit toxic, right? So that can yeah. be added in yeah, that, that doesn't help any. And so, <laughs> and so, that's, so, so when we did all that work, that's where the plasmalogen story came in. And it kind of 
came out of left field in that we were doing work on dementia and changes in um, cognitive status in individuals. And this class of membrane lipids was um, determined to be low in blood. And the correlation with cognition was quite shocking. And this is in the elderly population. And then we went dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the causation. And really, you're now at a point where you have a class of molecules, which really should be classified as a vitamin. Okay, it's like you're, we're talking about vitamin B0, if you will, in a sense, because it is a critical component of human health. Normally, we make most of it ourselves. Uh, we do get a, a little bit in our nutritional world, but very, very little. Uh, almost none after breastfeeding ends because that's where the main source of the plasmalgins are. And then um, that's kind of where the plasmalgin story came in. So the mechanisms and so then I've written a book on breaking Alzheimer's. It's not all about plasmalgins. It's about understanding the basis of the symptomology versus pathology. Mm -hmm. Okay, Here's another thing where people it's always difficult when you get you start, it's like reading a book from the middle without reading the beginning, right? So you, you start the book in the middle and you're, you're, and you say, this is an interesting book. I'm going to keep reading it. But you have to kind of guess, well, how did the beginning begin? Like what's, and, and that's what happens so many times in medicine is that we start these stories in the middle of the story, right? right? And, we, and we don't say, where did this come from? So yeah. we take a look at Alzheimer's patients. Well, look at this. Look at this. Look at these amyloid plaques. Look at these neurofibrillary tangles. Wow, these things must be bad because you're not supposed to have these in your brain. They must be the cause of Alzheimer's. They must be toxic. They must be actually chewing up my neurons. And if I could only get rid of these tangles and plaques, my brain would be super normal. Well, it sounds logical, okay? But it's totally based in fantasy is it's not real at all um the amyloid plaques and the tangles those are symptoms of a of a of a sick brain that's that those are those are things that clearly you shouldn't have in your brain and if you have them something is wrong but where did they come from like you know it's, it's, it didn't come it didn't get injected into your brain just for the purpose of of you know destroying neurons um and so these are things that happen in parallel. And so the membrane composition, these plasmalogens, and we'll get into them in detail, um, lead to the causation of a lot of these diseases. And so that's why I've studied it pretty extensively. And it's not just plasmalogens, overall nutrition, mitochondrial health. These are things that um, we deal with every day. There's, there's the phosphocholine system is another one that is dramatically underdiagnosed in the world. And so that's what we, that's what we do. And then we, when we talk about advanced health and advanced function, it's about creating a biochemical reserve capacity. It's vitality comes from making sure that all your little secondary systems are fed. Okay. Cause your body is going to triage. Okay. It's going to make sure your heart pumps and your lungs breathe. Okay. And if it has to make a choice between your heart and, you know, some, some, some cosmetic skin cells, it's going to choose the heart. Okay, and, and so you so if you want vitality, you you need you need excess. You need to have a reserve capacity so that you have enough excess for all the little things, mm -hmm. and and that's what happens. And so plasmalgias are one of those big problems that as we get older, we as we're young, we're we're 
gratuitous, if you will. We waste our plasmalogens, okay? And, um, and then later on, we just don't make enough of them for numerous reasons. And then we, our brains start bleeding out of plasmalogens the same way that happens in infants if they're not giving enough plasmalogens, either from the mother or through mother's milk or premature births, or they have genetic um, manufacturing issues. So that's kind of where what we do. And so that's kind of, I don't know. So that's kind of the roundabout philosophy of how we get to where we're going. Um, and then um, the plasmalogen story, we can just dig in wherever you want to that, on that one. I think I, I'd like to start at the beginning. I'd like to start about, you know, you mentioned to me earlier that plasmalogens become available to a developing baby around week 35 in utero through the mother's placenta and then the next and babies are essentially born plasmalogen deficient and then they get the bulk of their plasmalogens from mother's milk so what is it that we can do i guess number one is what can we can we provide plasmalogens to premature babies let's say they can't be breastfed i mean ideally Mm -hmm. a premature baby is going to get mother's milk anyway Right. But, you know, usually these things happen with a bit of trauma. Mother's milk's not always available. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, we we we. So myself being a chemist, and we found out these plasmalogens were associated with Alzheimer's disease. Right. The first step was saying, well, how does the body make these things? How do we, you know, what food could we possibly get these from? How do we restore? That was the obvious question, right? And so the problem with plasmalogens, so first of all, let me, what are the plasmalogens? Yeah, yeah, so it. we're talking about something that nobody knows what the hell we're talking about. And so <laughs> what the hell are these guys think? So no, so plasmalogens are, 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 are a type of membrane fossil lipid. Okay, that's what they're, you know, so the human body, if you take a look at some of the core physiological constructs of the human body, one of them is compartmentalization. The ability to do certain functions in one area of the body without affecting another area of the body. And the, how the body uh, achieves compartmentalization is through membranes and organelles and cells. And so that's what separates your heart from your lungs, from your brain, is that they're actually in a three-dimensional cell. And that cell is comprised of an outer membrane that isolates it. And then inside those cells, you have sub, you have uh, intercellular organelles, like your proxosomes and your mitochondria, your Golgi, your endoplasmic reticulum, your nucleus, all these intracellular um, compartments. These compartments are are enclosed in a, in a lipid membrane vesicle, if you will. And then there's the aqueous environment that has kind of the soup of your cell, if you will. And so this membrane structure that gives this compartmentalization is comprised of phospholipids. And that's what how the human body builds its walls. And it's by called a phospholipid bilayer. So a phospholipid is like a soap. It has fatty acid side chains that are very, very nonpolar, like your oil and vinegar in your in your salad dressing, for example. Then it has like your oil, and then it has a polar head group, which is the vinegar part of your oil and vinegar dressing. And it's polar. It likes to be in the water, and so and it's it's all attached. And that's how soap dissolves oil in water, for example. So what happens is these these phospholipids organize into what's called a fossil the bilayer and the, the fatty acid side chains from one side like to be with the other side and their polar head groups stick on the outside and so then you end up with essentially a biological wall right and that biological wall is not homogeneous there are parts of it that are very very thick and stiff and protective 
And there's some that are very fluid and open and allow transport of materials in and out. And then all those receptors that people talk about and proteins, those are typically embedded in the protein, in the, in the membrane. And so that affects the protein structure and function. So it's a, it's, it's a kind of a core, we take it for granted, but it's one of the core constructs of human physiology. Mm-hmm. So plasmalogens are part of that. And they, they affect the fluidity. And they're not a small amount, like 20% to 30% of your entire brain phospholipids. Like we're talking a very, very large amount. High concentrations in your heart, your lungs, your kidneys. Okay, very, so these are very critical components of human physiology. And they, there's about three or four core functions. One of them, we'll talk, we'll talk about all four of them actually, um, is the very last step in their manufacture creates a bond called a vinyl ether bond. And you can think of it like a fuse in your electrical system of your car. It's designed to fail before other things fail. And that's why you can kind of think of plasmalgens as your body's cannon fodder, if you will. It sends these things out to be destroyed because normally you'd make a lot up. But the problem is, is that last step in their manufacture that makes that vinyl ether bond for the specific purpose of preventing, you know, preventing you from losing your CoQ10s and your other antioxidants that you, that are more, more precious to the body that makes it dietarily unavailable. So you say, wow, there's so many plasmalogens. Like if I'm having a nice juicy steak or something, am I not eating plasmalogens? Well, you are, but they're being digested by the stomach acids. Mm. And so they don't make it into your blood supply. So it's not, they're not bioavailable because they're, they're designed to be destroyed by acid. That's what they do. And so that's core. So pound for pound, plasmalogens are probably orders of magnitude, the most important free radical scavenger in the human body. Okay. And that's why when we take plasmalogens, your C-reactive proteins usually drop, drop malandialdehyde. We just published this. Your malandialdehyde levels go down, your catalase function goes up. And so the antioxidant capacity of plasmalogens is quite dramatic. So that's the, that's the chemical side of it. The physiological side of it is since you have so many of them, they're not all the same. You have some that there's some of your membranes are designed to be like the, the plastic coating on a copper wire, if you will. They're impervious. They're designed to be like a protective coating so that the neurological impulse that's going through that axon is clean and clear and fast, right? And so that, and that's your omega-9. So the, the plasmalogens, those plasmalogens contain fatty acids that you get from olive oil, basically. But your body can also make omega-9. Yeah. So it tells you an important part here. The white matter of your human body, which is mostly omega-9 plasmalogens, the, all parts of it, can be made from scratch. You can make plasmalogens from plain old saturated fat. Like there's, it's, 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 you can make it from the most basic building block of food in the world. Okay. Any kind of fat will make your body can turn into a plasmalogen. Any kind of fat, your body can turn into an omega-9 fatty acid. So that's why oleic acid isn't technically an essential um, fatty acid. But we still don't get enough of it, so you still want some in your, your a good quantity in your diet, at least to counteract the excessive omega six that we get, linoleic acid. Anyways, so you can make that. that that's the omega nine. That's for your myelin sheath in the brain, which I'm going to get to for your question. Long time in, and then also your Schwann cells for your peripheral neuro, neurons and so on and so forth. Now, when your neurons connect with other neurons or with your muscles at the neuromuscular junction or a synapse, now that copper wire and the coating gets bare 
and you're at the switching part and now you're communicating. So, and how cells communicate is by the release of neurotransmitters through a vesicular fusion process. So they store these little, these neurotransmitters in a little presynaptic bouton and inside that bouton, there's a little sphere of, of neurotransmitters, again, in a lipid coating. Mm-hmm. And that has to fuse to the membrane and it releases the, the, the neurotransmitters, which can then go across and connect to the next neuron. And same thing with the muscles. That fusion process requires very fluid membranes, the exact opposite type of membrane that is protecting it while it gets there. That fluidity is driven by the omega-3 plasmalogens, specifically DHA plasmalogens. And your level of cognition is extremely correlated with the level of these DHA plasmalogens in your brain. We just published a big neuropathology study a couple months ago um, on, on that with Russian University in Chicago. And so that's the third of the, of the issues is, is, is synaptic function. And the fourth one is membrane protein regulation. So cholesterol, reverse cholesterol transport. So, you know, cardiovascular function, being able to transport cholesterol effectively in and out of cells. This is why plasmalogens are the antidote to the ApoE4 genotype, for example. Right. Um, that is so cool. Yeah. So those, those are the things. So the question is, this is a critically important system of the body that we take for granted and we take it for granted because typically it's a very very robust system we can we can afford to ignore it and then you know decades later we we are are you know we're looking at diseases and we're looking at aging in a different way um it kind of rears its head now but so plasmalogen the the criticalness of plasmalogen starts at the very very beginning Mm -hmm. so as nat was saying we were talking earlier you start using high levels of plasmalogens around gestational week 35. And the way to think about this is that when the baby, babies are born plasmalogen deficient, we all have, we were born with essentially non-myelinated neurons. So the first part of neurological development is that the, the baby lays down all these neurons first. They're unmyelinated. Think of taking a thousand copper wires, bare copper wires, and throwing them down the, as a big, bundle on your on your living room carpet okay and you apply electricity on one end well since there's no protective coating on any of these these copper wires it's scattered like the 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 electricity is skipping from one iron one one wire to another wire and it's 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 crazy right Mm -hmm. and so what happens around gestational week 35 then is once once so the body lays down these neuron tracks first then it starts turning on the electricity and so what happens around gestational week 35 and up to first three years of life is when you do, your, your, your brain goes from essentially zero plasmalogens to 70% plasmalogens in your myeloma. Like it's, 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 a, it's a massive plasmalogen manufacturing load. And what ha- so there's a cell called the oligodendrocyte. Mm-hmm. And you can think of it like a nanobot, right? And so what it does, the progenitor cells, once the neurons get turned on, Okay, there's electricity going through these copper wires now. And so these nanobots go in there and they sense which of these copper wires have electricity and which don't. And they they attach to the ones that have electricity in them. And they say, ah, and they start coating that wire, okay, with what's called a myelin sheath, these oligodendrocytes. And they coat these wires with plasmalogens. And as it's, so when it finds a neuron that's working, 
it goes there and it coats it. And as it coats it, that neuron now gets stronger and stronger because its signal is now isolated from all these other bare copper wires around it. Right. And and this is this is how brain human brain development works. And so what happens is those neurons that are signaling become protected with the myelin sheath. Those who do not, they degenerate. And then she, you know, so then you end up with these strong neurological connections. And what happens when that process is delayed is that the myelination is impaired. And so what happens now is that imagine your copper wires have a very thin coating versus a very thick coating. If it has a very thin coating, a little bit of electricity is fine, but too much electricity burn, you know, basically burns a hole in it and melts, melts the coating. So the, the quality of that myelin sheath determines the strength and how much power can go through it. So when we talk about diseases of autism or autoimmune or even concussions later on in life, all these neural inflammatory diseases is that these, it's like, and I tell people, you can think about the neurological system, like an old radio where you got to tune the station. So first, it, you know, you hear, if you, if your station is a little bit out of tune, you can still hear the music if you keep the volume low right? Because you can kind of hear it behind the crackling. But if you crank the volume up, all you hear is noise. So the white matter is the tuning process. It's the one that gets the signal strong and clear. And once you've got a clear signal, you can crank the volume up as high as you want to. You blow the walls off your house, rock and roll. And so, so those are the two components of it. So the omega-9 plasmalogens are designed to tune your neurological system, both, both in the brain and in your periphery. And it makes sure that your, your nerve conductivity Conduction rates, conduction rates are fast and clear. So we talk about disease like multiple sclerosis and ALS. These are all diseases of white matter degradation. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, then we talk about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. These are mostly diseases of the connection plates. Right. So we need to turn those. We, we start the. They are. They're not releasing neurotransmitters effectively, and so therefore. The, the signaling. So you need to turn the volume up on, on those types of diseases. And of course, like everything in human health, nothing is a complete black and white line. There's always going to be overlap, right? And so we, you want to support both systems. So that's kind of where the plasmalogen story comes in. So then, so when you talk about um, premature births and their affection, their, their effect with, with uh, cognitive and neuromuscular activity at two years of age, very, very robust correlation differences. Even in normally, uh, normal gestational babies that have no underlying risk factors or other diseases, when they do advanced MRI of their brains at two to three or four years of age, the level, the cognitive status of the child is correlated to the level of myelination of their brains, even in normally developing children. Okay. And so the, the process of myelination is, is, is absolute. And if you take a look at these, these, charts you can just you can just see how the brain gets in the myelination process occurs so now we continue to myelinate like our brains develop till our 50s right we're still like people think oh my brain's developed you know 20s and 30s no okay we're still myelinating in our 40s and 50s and the maximum myelination rate is somewhere in the 50s and we don't even know that because we haven't looked at even further progression but of course the skull is fixed like you can't you know, go forever. And so the, but now what happens is you have this rapid brain volume loss starting around age 50. By age 70, on average, um, there's a 
20% loss of plasmalogens in the brain. Okay. And then it goes, and it's a, it's a dramatic drop off. So this lack, so we, we lose white matter first, typically as we age, and then we lose gray matter. So what happens in most of us that don't have, you know, an, an early infant trauma, or we don't have a genetic mutation, we're, we're, we've got a big charity for children with uh, a rare disease called rhizomelic coronary dysplasia punctata. So we offer the plasmalgians to those families and their children free of charge. And they can, we're seeing some pretty dramatic um, reversals in those diseases. But later on in life, we almost have the same disease process. So you've, you've taken 50 years of your life and you've basically filled your body up. You've slowly, systematically, you've had more than enough plasmalgian manufacturing. So you've had a little bit of excess. This is a conversation we were talking about earlier about vitality needs excess. Right. Okay, you, you need to have you need to have a reserve capacity to fill keep those those little crevices full, if you will. And what happens later on in life now is that once you don't have that excess of plasmalogen manufacturing, where when we're younger we can just throw these things off and we can use them to protect everything else in the body. All of a sudden now those reserves that you have, you get this delta. So you say you're making just a little bit less than what you need. And so the rate of which the, dif the difference between your plasmalgene manufacturing and your plasmalgene need can be little or can be lot. And that little versus lot determines the rate of, of brain decline because you just bleed out. Um, and we look at that. And so we look at brain volume, just gross brain volume is a very big predictor of um, mortality going forward. So in terms of neuromuscular junction, like sarcopenia, okay, these things are correlated. Cognitive decline and sarcopenia go hand in hand. And again, it's like that shiny object syndrome where you, you have one thing that that overwhelms our focus. We say, hey, we have cognitive impairment. Well, that's what we got. We don't, we forget that these things don't all happen in isolation. So that's why plasmalogens are this, this incredibly, you know, basic molecule and when you start restoring them you really do get dramatic effects and as a scientist and um i'm taught to tone it down and um be conservative and think of years and years of time to restore this and that and the other thing and it these things actually can happen quite fast yes. i've seen pretty dramatic reversals in my own personal family life like i have an aunt had late stage Alzheimer's. She still, you know, she had she couldn't recognize her son. She was in long term care, and um, and so I started shipping to my uncle the Protom Neuro, which is the omega three plasmalogen. And the problem is when people get into these long term care facilities, you don't really have access to them, right? You get, they get into these structures, and you can't really give them the nutritional support. They want everything by a doctor's order with a fax yeah. follow up and the whole nine yards. And so you become this quality is horrible on top of it. It's it's a warehousing, right? And and there and it's everyone just doing nothing is protective for most people, right? Like, it's like you can't you I can't get in trouble for doing nothing, um, for the most part, and which is horrific. So anyway, so we started getting her the plasmalogens, the omega three. She can now um recite everybody in her 50th wedding anniversary. She goes out for dinner with my dad, my uncle, and she understands her environment. She's still in her wheelchair because we can't really get them to do proper physiotherapy because that's too much work. But anyways, that's another story. <laughs> and so, so, but, but the point is these things, these things actually work. It's not, and when we talk about autistic children and people with ADHD, 
we see effects in hours and days. They wow. say they, their brain, like I get doctors sending me emails where the, their patient says, this, this is what a normal person must feel like. I've never felt this centered before. I, I, I can, I can complete, I can read a paragraph without, without stopping every sentence because my mind doesn't wander anywhere. I can read an entire paragraph without losing my train of thought. And, and what we're learning is this neural inflammation is having a much greater effect on our population than we even anticipated. And this omega-9, like with, with the sleep improvement, once we start lowering the inflammatory component of the brain, and, and, it's, and it's really so stupidly simple, mm-hmm. the plasmalogen precursors, so we, so we designed precursors. So if anyone understands Parkinson's, right? Like when the, the miracle drug for Parkinson's is L-DOPA. For a while. Well, for a while. But still, it's miraculous, okay, in terms of symptom improving dopaminergic function. Yeah, actually, obviously, it's for, for a while. But mm-hmm. we don't give people dopamine, right? So we give them dope. L-DOPA because you can't give them the actual final product. We give a precursor to dopamine because the actual product doesn't get in properly. So we design plasmalogen precursors that are a couple steps up the biochemical chain that are, they are exactly the same chemical structure that's in human mother's milk, by the way, for the omega-9. And the omega-3 is designed for that performance enhancement. But anyways, so now you have these precursors that can come in and what you're doing now is these oligodendrocytes and these Schwann cells, if they're under stress, it's like a it's like a forest fire eating at your house, right? And you're trying to keep the fire from burning and you're dousing your walls with water. But if you can keep enough water on your house, the fire will definitely eventually pass you by and your house is standing. Right. This is what these plasmalogens do. They, they, they come into your cells of your, of your brain, of your oligodendrocytes, and allows those cells to myelinate at or above whatever rate of, of attack is occurring. And so they become impervious to this inflammatory cascade. And inflammation, like the microglial inflammation or the macro, macrophage glial, uh, inflammation of the periphery, these, the, your, your autoimmune and these, these diseases that we have, they're designed to sense unhealthy cells, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your, your immune system is designed to sniff out a cell that's not healthy and be attracted to that cell, deliver a final death punch to that cell, and then be there to clean up the garbage. Otherwise, you'd have sepsis all over the place. Now, people talk about the senescence, you know, phenotypes and all that stuff. That's basically what your immune system is designed to prevent from occurring. Right. You're supposed to go there. And how it senses a cell being unhealthy is the peroxidation of the membrane, okay? And that's one of the big things that plasmalogens resolve. And so if you if you remove the inflammatory trigger, inflammation resolves by itself because you've, re- you've, you've taken away the, the immune-stimulating signal. And that's kind of where these, how the, the plasmalogens really reduce inflama- inflammatory phenotypes because it allows the cells to look healthy and be healthy. And then when they are, the immune system is no longer attracted to them. So you mentioned TBIs earlier. Yeah. How are plasmalogens helpful for TBI? Is there a process in the TBI where there's a demyelination of nerves? Absolutely. That helps to restore. And now you were just also talking about neural inflammation, which is obviously 
a big part of TBIs as well. Yeah, essentially speaking, um, if you preload yourself with omega-9 plus malogens, you basically can't get a concussion. And so, unless, of course, you, it goes right through your head. And so, okay, so, but fundamentally, so what happens, see, the brain is a closed system. It's not like bruising your arm, okay? You get a big bruise on your arm, you have a good circulatory system, you got blood flow, you, you can move material to that bruise, you can move material out of that bruise, okay? Your brain does not have that type of circulatory system, okay? The brain has to fix itself in situ, okay? It has to use the material in the location of the injury. And so when you get a concussion, what happens is that myelin sheath that I talked to you about, you can think of it like a, an old um, cake roll, if you will, okay? And what happens is that cake roll gets inflamed, right? And it, it, or, or a cinnamon bun, right? And so what happens is it kind of opens up like this. It just kind of swells and opens. And so in between all these wrappings, okay, it gets inflamed. And that attracts... The immune system says, oh, something's wrong here. I got to come fix this. And this is what happens with multiple sclerosis. And so multiple sclerosis, when the lesions grow, okay, they grow because it's like a forest fire until it burns itself far enough out. And then once it burns out, the macrophages disappear. And once the macrophages disappear, then you get remyelination. So when you have this relapsing remitting process in, in, in multiple sclerosis, that's what's going on over and over again. In the concussion, what happens? Like, so, so when we do brain occlusion studies in the laboratory, Okay, so when we want to study stroke, yeah, we can we'll we'll occlude the the artery yeah. for seven for seven minutes or even less. Like if just a few minutes, we'll we'll block blood flow to the brain. Yeah. Then we'll wait. Okay. The brain damage doesn't occur right away. We'll wait four, five, six, seven days until we actually start seeing it. Because then what, what you've done is you've created this snowballing effect. And then you see this progressive decline. And growing of the of the of the of the insult of the of the infraction, and so so you can think about that. Like we, we do a small insult, wait a whole week, and then after that week goes by, it continues to grow. And so it's ten days, then fourteen days, and we want to watch the the growth of this. And it's driven by the inflammation of the brain. And what happens is, is once that inflammatory cascade begins, the cells can't catch up, right? Because they're not designed. Like you're not you're not two years old anymore, right? You're not sitting, you're not in the massive myelination phase. You're in this, you're in your steady state phase. You're not designed to rebuild this myelin so fast. Like you're, you're, you've kind of forgotten, if you will. And so what happens if you have the plasmalogen precursors in advance or shortly after, okay, then because it has a building material to remyelinate and fix that damage. And that's why, and then obviously the mitochondrial issue is important because how the immune system kills the cell and causes cell lysis is by mitochondrial um, disruption. That's what they do. It's, it's a glutaminergic excitotoxic pathway. And so the whole purpose of it is it goes in there and it kills the mitochondria. The cell, the cell can't handle its redox and it bursts open and the immune system cleans up the garbage. So when we talk about diseases like multiple sclerosis and autism, which are entirely mitochondrial mediated, is that the surrounding cells, okay? So the immune system is supposed to come and attack the damaged cell, kill just the damaged cell. The cells around that inflammation are supposed to be healthy enough to withstand that momentary um, onslaught. 
Mm-hmm. But if you're but if your surrounding cells are not able to are unhealthy themselves, what happens is the inflammation weakens them enough that they become damaged. You know, they now become immune stimulating cells. And then those and then the attack and, and it goes on and on. And so right. now that's that's how autoimmune spreads. Right. And so so and the primary reason for that is uh, mitochondrial insufficiencies. And so, and so so that's again this ball tire situation, right? You can be coasting along quite nicely until you get an insult. And then all of a sudden you've triggered like you didn't know you were mitochondrial compromised until an insult occurs. And then all of a sudden it it exposes this weakness. And that's when we talk about these these rates of autism dramatically growing over time. And it's from that particular concept is that you have, you know, everyone in the population is going to have risk factors. There's going to be people that have very, very strong mitochondria, people that have weakened mitochondria and so on and so forth. And then if you add, if the overall stress of the environment grows, okay, more and more people fall off that cliff. Right. And, And, you know, basic mathematics at that point in time. If you're a listener of this podcast, you're probably actively looking for ways to maximize your daily regimens and protocols. And if you haven't yet added nitric oxide to your daily wellness routine, you've got to stop and listen to the rest of this message. Throughout your body, there are over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Nitric oxide is responsible for circulating blood to all those vessels through vasodilation. But as we age, we make less nitric oxide naturally, circulation becomes less efficient, meaning the blood carrying critical oxygen, glucose, and nutrients just gives and getting to all those miles. Berkeley Life is my go-to supplement for supporting nitric oxide levels in myself, my family, and my clients. Their daily supplement provides a powerful and precise dose of dietary nitrates, the building blocks of nitric oxide, for your body to make its own nitric oxide throughout the day. I've noticed such a difference in my energy levels, my stamina, and my recovery time. The more I learn about nitric oxide's role in the body, including its impact on oxidative stress levels and proper hormone balance, the more I encourage all my listeners and clients to incorporate it into their regimens. You can access Berkeley Life's nitric oxide support supplements by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order when you register and check out. You will also save 10% off your first order. Once again, berkeleylife.com, practitioner code NIDDBL. And now let's get back to the show. So do plasmologens help mitochondria? This must be a stupid question, sorry. Or are you saying- Not directly, indirectly. Piece of the puzzle and then supporting mitochondria is the other piece of the puzzle. Like I think think what you're saying, which makes all the sense in the world to me is plasmologens are a critical piece of the puzzle and yet there's still more to it. Like, yeah, they're a big hammer, and it's they, they turn out to be even a bigger hammer than I thought because we have such resilience for the most part. But yeah, to me, the, the magic cocktail for these type of disorders is N-acetylcysteine, acetyl-L-carnitine, some CoQ10, maybe some alpha-lipoic acid, and the plasmalogen, the omega-9 plasmalogens. That little cocktail there is pretty well your that's your emergency stuck on an island cocktail like if you had one little group of you know assuming you're going to get some b vitamins here and there like obviously you want your b vitamins and um and for methyltransferase activity and creatine is another one that we totally don't take enough of i'm a big big fan of creatine the methyltransferase when people if you have people that are just really struggling to get their homocysteine levels down Get them on a couple of grams of creatine and it'll bring it right down. 
people don't understand what homocysteine is for, um, where it comes from, but creatine is a big, big deal. We don't take enough of it. And same thing with phosphocholines. So yeah, so there's a, the list goes on and on, but so as you, but um, if you look at these core structural systems and you just feed them, um, you know, in advance and, and the goal here is to create reserve capacity. And if you can provide your body with the right building blocks in advance, what you do is you free up your capacity. So mm-hmm. say you have an MTHR deficiency, right? And say, say you, your inherent methyltransferase capacity is 50% of normal or 75% of normal. Well, you probably on average, probably only need 10 or 20% of that capacity to live a normal life, yeah. right? Until, but the point is, is that you're, you're kind of on this teeter-totter spot. And so if you take creatine and phosphocholine, what you've done is you've supplied the body with 50% or more of its methyltransferase capacity. 50% of your homocysteine is, is caused by making choline and making creatine. So if you eat those end products, you have now reduced, you've released 50% of your methyltransferase capacity for making your melatonin and your serotonin and your dopamine and your adrenalines and all your neurotransmitters that require methyltransferase. All mm-hmm. the, all that neurofibrillary tangle stuff that I was talking to you about, about the brain for Alzheimer's, that's all caused by methyltransferase insufficiencies of the brain. Um, and and so freeing up that capacity, and that's why, you know, in naive people like that aren't artificially lowering their homocysteine levels, elevated homocysteine is a very, very powerful biomarker of, um, you know, brain health and cardiovascular disease and those little things. Right. You said something earlier that I think a few people may be waiting for us to get back to, and I think um, it's the whole APOE4 phenotype that you were talking about and how plasmologens, like I remember reading this in the book and that just, it made me kind of sit up, fold the page, highlight, (laughs) you know, like plasmologens can basically turn a person who's either has one or two of the four alleles on that APOE, and I'm probably saying that all wrong, but basically they're an APOE3-4 or APOE4-4, which puts them at much higher risk for cardiovascular disease and cognitive issues, the whole nine yards. Later in life, not when they're young. But that plasmologen, keeping those, keeping that plasmologen bank account rich can basically reduce their risk, assuming that they live their life well and whatnot. They can now be on equal ground with an APOE3-3 or an APOE2-3 even, which is a little bit mind-blowing, right? Because these are people that if they understand what, what the risk factors are, kind of walk around with a bit of a knot in their gut thinking like, what can I possibly do to reduce my risk? And here yeah. is a fairly elegant solution. So these genetic risk factors, people, you know, almost all genetic diseases are biochemically manifested. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they, they, they're not magic. They, they have a mechanism behind them. Yeah. And the APOE4, so this is all related to cholesterol transport systems. Mm-hmm. And cholesterol is another thing that really is a pet peeve of mine. And we're killing people trying to get their cholesterol levels low. Yeah. And it's just, it's just atrocious. The, 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 and it's not, it shouldn't even be an argument. The epidemiological studies of millions and millions and millions, we're talking a 12 million study in Korea, tens of, tens of thousands of people and other population studies. The optimal total cholesterol for longevity is somewhere in the mid 200s, full stop. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, once your total cholesterol level gets under 200, your all-cause mortality starts to double. Okay, it's 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 not even open for discussion. The data is so robust in this matter. Okay, and so the other part is is the the the, the HDL system. Okay, so first of all, I think people should just get a sense of cholesterol. You know, I talk about plasmalogens being important. Well, they're not important as cholesterol even. Like cholesterol, like is the key one of the keys molecules of your of your human of the human body. And so your body has designed a whole bunch of systems to make sure it can regulate cholesterol levels. So when you get your blood test, okay, you're measuring cholesterol on transport proteins. Cholesterol is a fat, okay? Just like you can't just pour fat down your drain and expect it to flow, it's going to sit on all the walls. So we have to solubilize this fat. And the way the body solubilizes it is it uses um, transport proteins, these very, very big proteins that are very, very water soluble. And so all these lipid molecules catch a ride on these very water soluble particles. And you have, and so you need to, so your body has to have a, a way of getting cholesterol to the cells of your body that need it and a way of getting cholesterol out of the cells. And so it can share with other cells so it can distribute the cholesterol. And also if the cell has too much, how to get rid of it. Okay, you have two these these two main systems called your LDL, your low density liver protein, and your HDL or your high density liver proteins, and these are called apolipoproteins. So mm-hmm. typically LDL is what's called apolipoprotein B. Okay, so these these proteins all have slightly different um, genetic structures or protein sequences, if you will. And so apolipoprotein B, which is your LDL. Is made in your liver and it's, it's, its job is to send all the cholesterol to your cells okay and so when your cells are hungry say it says it needs cholesterol it will pull ldl into the cell it actually goes right into the cell into the lysosome like a little stomach of your cell and it digests it and it makes cholesterol available for that cell and it actually comes in through ldl receptors okay it goes into your cell that's your how your ldl system goes now your cells will make their own cholesterol and if they make enough cholesterol they're happy they'll send more. So you're at Thanksgiving dinner and you got extra apple pie and you're taking it home, you're sending it home with leftovers, right? So the leftovers leave the cell and they leave the cell through the HDL system. So the cell sends the cholesterol out of the cell and that cholesterol then gets picked up with HDL and goes back to the liver. HDL particles do not enter the cell. They stay on the outside of the cell. So there's receptors and this is where their phosphatidylcholine becomes really important. Because when your cholesterol is in your cell, it's non-esterified. It comes out, it has to get esterified, and then it goes on the HDL particle, and it takes it back to the liver. And so your your peripheral system is a big network of international or interstate highway systems. Mm-hmm. Like you're moving cholesterol long distances, okay? And you got you got a circulatory system. And so the so the the um, L HDL system is the apolipoprotein A system. So. A and B, and there's, so there's a bunch of these proteins, and we've known about them since like forever. Like they've been studied, I don't know, like the 40s and 50s and 60s. Like so, this is not a new thing. Yeah. We've been looking at these for a long, long time. So that's how the peripheral system works. Now the brain is a little different. Instead of this interstate highway system, your brain is like Chinatown. It's a bunch of little crisscross streets. You know, you can't even get a semi in there if you wanted to. Okay, yeah. so it's it's, it's going to be and so it has a different transport system, and it uses apolipoprotein E. Okay, so E is in your peripheries, only about five percent or less of 
those proteins that transport cholesterol. But in your brain, it's almost 100% apolipoprotein E. And apolipoprotein E is ambidextrous. Okay, it can it can be it rec- it's it has LDL functions and HDL functions. So the cell will actually absorb it. So for example, there's a rare disease of um, can't even think of the exact name, but they have a mutation in apolipoprotein B. So they have an LDL mutation. Mm-hmm. What happens to these people? Their apolipoprotein E goes way through the roof, and they they replace ApoB with ApoA, Apo E. Yeah. Right. And so that's how it's kind of this, it's your backup molecule, but in the brain, it's almost exclusively apolipoprotein E. So it has LDL function and HDL function. Now where the, where the, um, allele story comes in, in the apolipoprotein E, you have an E2 and E3 and E4 alleles. And those are related to the, not the LDL function of, ApoE, but the HDL function, and it determines the efficiency of export rates. Right. Okay. So how how efficiently a cell can export? So E2 carriers almost have excessive cholesterol export. So if you're a double E2, it's actually a very unhealthy person. Like it's too right. E2, E3, the E3 kind of balances it a bit, and it's like having a kid that lives paycheck to paycheck can't save it's soon as he has a dollar he spends a dollar okay and the e2s are like that they can't save cholesterol for the life of them whatever cholesterol they make they get rid of and e3 is kind of in the middle and e4 is a cholesterol saver so when the cell makes cholesterol it holds it a little bit so it it doesn't get it 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 doesn't release that cholesterol as much it doesn't have the export function so early in life Okay, when you have nutritional deprivation or you have bacterial infections or viral infections, the E4s are actually quite protective because they actually have a more robust cholesterol system in their cells. When they make their cholesterol, they can stave it. So they they don't become cholesterol deficient as easily as an E2 or an E3. Mm-hmm. And normally the counter, so the 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 two people in the three-legged race of cholesterol transport is the apolipoprotein E and the omega-3 DHA plasmalogens. And so DHA plasmalogens also control cholesterol export rates, but they control it through an enzyme called ACAT, cholesterol, it's a cholesterol sterifying enzyme that improves the clearance. And that's why plasmalogens clear up foamy macrophages, for example, and they, they reduce atherosclerotic plaques because they can increase the cholesterol clearance rate of cells. And so if people have People who have naturally high levels of plasmalogens will have naturally high levels of HDL. They'll have naturally low levels of of LD of um, of um, triglycerides, and they'll have good LDLs as well. So, full circle here. So, when you take a look at someone's total cholesterol levels, what you're really measuring is the health of their cells. Okay. If you when your cholesterol level gets low, that means the cells are unhealthy. They can't make enough of their own cholesterol. And so, so the, the other analogy I tell people, if you look at the whole system, you can think of it like the power grid. You can you have a power generating station, and then every house has their own um, solar panels. So if you're an efficient house and your solar panels are generating all the energy that you need, even excess energy, you're donating power back to the grid. Yeah. But if you're using too much energy in your cells and you can't, you're pulling energy in from the grid. The grid 
is your total cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if you're, if your total cholesterol levels, so why longevity is so associated with good total cholesterol levels, it means that your cellular health is good. It means that your cells are healthy. They're making all the cholesterol they need. They're donating a little bit back into the grid and you're, you're fine. And when your cholesterol levels get low, that means your cell cellular energy is impaired and you can't make enough cholesterol. And now you're dependent on the, the power system and the, the, the external supply system. So that's how the story goes. So as we get older, that's, so the ABOE4 genotype has no negative consequences whatsoever for the most part for people that are under 60. Mm-hmm. And so as you get older, when our plasmalogen levels start dropping, okay, all of a sudden this counterbalancing weight where the plasmalogens were exporting cholesterol, okay, that gets impaired. And all of a sudden now the cells can't get rid of cholesterol. Like it's not enough. They're saving too much. They become misers now. They're not even, they, they can't, they, they're not sharing their cholesterol at all. And, right. and then they get too much cholesterol and their memories start getting rigid. And when the membrane gets rigid, the uh, amyloid precursor protein, the APP system gets, um, gets shifted to the beta secretase system. And that's where we get amyloid plaques form. And that's why, that's why APOE4 carriers are associated with elevated amyloid plaque levels. Um, and that's the mechanism. So it's a long story, but fundamentally, when you talk about genetics and these genetic risk factors, they're, they're biochemically manifested. And, and APOE4 is a really good example of, you know, you don't want to be, you, you don't want to fight your genotype. Okay. That's like the epitome of self-hate. Your genotype is you, right? It's your job to create an environment that's within the window of your genotype. Yeah. It's not your genotype's job to deal with all your craziness. Like, you know, and so you remember it's, and that's why the human body is adaptive. Like it doesn't really, your genes sit behind this nucleus veil, right? And they're listening. They've got proteins and saying, okay, what kind of crazy stuff are you going to do to me today? How am I going to react to this? And it's got a, it's got a, it's got a list of reactions that it can, it can deliver for any given circumstance. And so this is where our genetic predispositions come in because are each we have slightly different windows mm-hmm. right and these windows are overlapping and and so if you have an mthr deficiency then your genotype has a limited ability to respond to a methyltransferase demand okay yeah. so it's your job to make sure that you've created result resistance for that okay and likewise for other systems of your body so if you're apoe4 your your cells have a limit you know a limited ability to to redistribute cholesterol. So it's your job to make sure that the counterbalancing system is up to snuff. And the good news is that you can, this stuff is quite easily testable. And so you can look at these core systems um, and like mitochondrial function, your peroxisomal function, cholesterol transport, you know, sarcopenia measures. Like these are not actually that hard to measure. And I tell this, that's what I tell people all the time is that we don't have a lack of knowledge like the amount of scientific knowledge that we have is mind blowing. The issue we we have is applying it. Okay. And and getting it into a manner that people can understand. They don't get so psyched out. You know, we've got this jargon with human health that, you know, people shut off. They say they they think it's some sort of weird foreign space. And so what I try, I spend a lot of time teaching people, this is your biochemistry. This is yours. You can I can I can take your HDL levels. I can move it. Your triglycerides. These are you have complete control over these markers. 
Okay. And you can, and it's not that hard actually. Um, and so once people realize that this is you and once you get these systems in place, you don't have to be so frightened of being struck by lightning. Um, you, you know, obviously any bad thing can happen to anybody, but at least you can get the core systems in place and, and, um, live with a little bit of peace of mind. Yeah. So how does the plasmologen help the APOE4 just by enabling better export of the fat out of the cell, basically? Correct. It yeah, it improves improves okay. reverse it proves reverse improves reverse cholesterol transport. Nice. Okay. And that's why the HDL system, people think HDL comes around and, and sucks cholesterol to your cells. It doesn't. Okay. It responds to your cholesterol efflux rate. The more you efflux, the body says, hey, I need more HDL. And so, so it's the other way around. Okay, your HDL levels increase because you have a, you have an increased demand for HDL. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can't just go in there and say I'm going to load myself up with HDL. That might be a short term fix, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to strip a bunch of cholesterol out. Um, it's the other way around. They get it. Your body will say, "How much HDL 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 do I need for this circumstance?" And it will make that amount for you. Wow. Yeah. No, and I love that you didn't use the words good and bad because I find I get increasingly irritated with the idea of good cholesterol and bad cholesterol because I, as you just explained it, they both have a function and they're yeah. necessary. You can't live without either of them. Right. HDL is, is a big one. Like low HDL is and low phosphatidylcholine levels in your blood. Cancer, like all, all cancers are cholesterol mediated. Okay. Full stop. Okay period. Okay. This has been known since, I don't know, 60s, 70s. Okay. All cancer phenotypes are driven by cholesterol dysregulation and by fasting, um, inability to maintain a fasting state in the cellular system. So if you take a look at the BRCA gene, like we have certain genotypes that are really good barometers of of risk and say, well, how does that work? Mm -hmm. And, um, And so it's the fasting state and the cholesterol regulation state that modifies, that really converts a cancer, a cell becomes cancerous because it can't survive any other way, right? The can't, cells do not want to become cancerous. They are forced to become cancerous. They are forced to a situation that the only way they can survive is, be, is to become cancerous. They don't set out to become it. They have no choice but to be it. And mm-hmm. and that's the other thing that we, we think there's such a protagonistic approach when really it's it's adaptive. It's saying, here's a cell that can't maintain a fasting state, and so therefore it requires more glucose to live. Otherwise, if it doesn't get enough glucose, it will die. So it eventually upregulates glucose to stay alive, and then it becomes a parasite of its local environment, and it no, no, longer, no longer becomes a good neighbor, if you will, and um, starts... And then, then as it becomes more and more, it, it learns to learn to use glucose. Um, and then as it learns to use glucose, it starts teaching the cells around it to do the same because it's it's sucking glucose there. And then eventually this, the body says, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of glucose utilization here. I think I better vascularize this system. And so then, then the body starts building, you know, starts vascularizing it to to meet the demand so it's and that's where when people start really looking at human physiology as an adaptive state mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know even when you're doing exercise training like i tell people 
you know, exercise is bad for you. Recovering from exercise is good for you. Okay. And so. Right. Because right? it's like, because we are creating oxidative stress other than, you know, increasing circulatory system. But what you're doing is you're teaching the body to adapt to a higher metabolic demand. So when you go running and you say, and all of a sudden you need more oxygen and more oxygenation than you do when you're sitting there, your body says, holy crap, I need to, I need, this guy needs more oxygen. So I need to upregulate my, my mitochondrial function. I need to upregulate. And so it adapts to the environment that you created for it. And right. same thing with your, with, with resistance training, you know, you are creating an environment that the body adapts to. And then what you've done is you've created a reserve capacity. So, so on the days that you aren't running or the hours that you're not running, you know, and the days that you're not lifting weights, you now have this excess capacity. So when I'm pushing my mouse around my, my desk, okay, I'm not, it's not hard for me because I've, I've, I've adapted to a higher functional capacity. And that's the whole point. And biochemistry is the same way. You want to create these um, reserve levels. And yeah. once, and, and that's, and your body won't, but your body won't naturally do this. Like you won't naturally become fit. You won't naturally become, um, you know, high functioning because the body has no need to. Right. Like un- unless there's a need for it, it's not going to do it. So no, you have but, you but have to create it. Efficiencies, right? I mean, muscle is metabolically expensive. It's not going to build muscle unless you make it think that it needs muscle. I keep telling that to people. Like exactly. You don't tell the body you're going to, you need this stuff. The body's like, dude, I mean, the body's almost like inherently lazy because yeah. the more efficient it can be, the lower it keeps its demands and the happier it is. It's and- like algebra. Like who wants to learn algebra? I'm never <laughs> going to use this. Algebra. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, but the point is to teach yourself how to think logically. Right. So. So let me, so if I could do this, when you talked about, when we, when I asked you that question about TBIs, you talked about how having a high plasmologen level or adequate or an excess of plasmologen virtually TBI proofs your brain. Maybe if not so much, if you're an NFL football player, but it maybe even gives them bigger wiggle room for when they get bonked in the head. But what about someone who has a pre-existing TBI, someone who's had a number of concussions over- even more important there see that this this is another one of the big problems with, with the tbi world um is that when you get a concussion it doesn't go away very very rarely ever goes away what happens and people get the return to play designations is you've learned to adapt to the concussion right okay, same thing with an autistic child like an autistic man in his 40s and 50s will have the same level of brain inflammation as he had when he was nine years old Okay, it doesn't go away, and what you do is you've you've adapted to it. You've created you you've created um, behavioral um, remapping. Okay, yeah. the brain is very very capable of remapping its systems. It's designed to do that, mm-hmm. and so when you have a concussion, it your your body learns to live with it. Right, so okay. it works around it, kind of thing. It, it builds Correct. sidebars. It, it... Yeah. and there's good and there's good MRI studies to show. Not so much the remapping, but the MRI studies very clearly show that the white matter degradation doesn't dissipate for right. a very long time. And so if ever. And so that inflammatory part, so the, the plasmalogens and the mitochondrial support structure are incredibly important to be able to allow that system to heal itself. Okay. And so because, you know, obviously we're, we don't play God. We can't, we, all we can do is we can provide the right materials and the right environment for the body to heal itself. And so the, 
and so in terms of the NFL story or of uh, a hawk, hockey player, actually, I'm a strong believer that if you are high on plasma, like the omega nines, you can get a pretty big hit to the head and not have a concussion. Okay, well, maybe why some people are so much more susceptible to them than others, right? And could it be that? You know, like when I was a kid, nobody talked about concussions. Right. I mean, I fell over backwards figure skating. I didn't wear a helmet a yeah. number of times. Like, who knows? Maybe I had a bunch of concussions. Yeah. But, you know, I never ended up having, I didn't get the spins. I, I, you know, it's either I have a very hard head, which is possible. Many people have said this to me in the past. But, or, you know, is it possible that for whatever reason, I had a lot more resilience in my system than, say, the next person who, it, and it almost seems like these days somebody bumps their head on a kitchen cupboard and it's like, oh my God, I got a concussion. Like, I don't know if our if our threshold has lowered or as you were saying earlier, is it possible that whatever's happening in our world, less breastfeeding, and although I wasn't breastfed, but anyway, moving on. It's, it, it's a distribution, okay? And it's exactly, it's absolutely right. So we, we live in a more pro-inflammatory environment, mm. way more autoimmune-like disorders in children than we've ever, ever seen before. And so when you have, so the reason why one concussion makes the next concussion easier is that inflammatory part of the brain puts an extra load. You're consuming a bunch of plasmalogens. Right. And so you get this, you get this cumulative effect over time. And so, and like I always tell you, like we, the reason why this stuff kind of skates by so much is that the human system is quite resilient. Like I can provide a toxic dose of arsenic to a thousand people and, only 200 will get sick, right? And so you, 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 we forget how distributive human physiology is, yeah. and how many different, you know, variables can come into play to be protective or or weakened state. So mm -hmm. yeah, so in so clearly there will be some people out there that can take multiple hits to the head and be fine, um, but there is a reason why these advanced athletes are so unbelievably prime human specimens, if you will, in their prime, and they age so terribly, okay? They burn themselves out, They, they and, and there's a lot of excessive exercise. And this is where I'm a bit preachy, like you have to give your body time to heal. Yeah. Okay? Like people, like, like a lot of these professional athletes, they think more is better, mm -hmm. okay? And they've never taken the, tr the chance to step, step back and say, what, well, what happens if I work out a little bit less per month, per week? Do I get weaker? And if they ever actually take the opportunity to do that, yeah. they, they'll often find that they're actually stronger. Yeah. Their strength improves. Like, and you can only, even if you work out just a couple days a week versus six days a week, like, and I'm bad. I used to do that myself. Oh, three days, this three days, that cross train. And, and, you know, and then I got, then I started working for a living at some point in time. It's like, you know, I can't do this six day a week workout routine. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my six days and I'm going to put it into a two day Saturday, Sunday routine thinking, of course, hopefully I can just maintain myself because this is, there's no way I can stay strong working out twice a week. Right. Well, four months later, I was stronger than I was when I was working six. I go, what the hell is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. And so you, people have to learn to live with the empirical evidence in front of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like we, we, sometimes we are, we let our brains override our guts. Like we think this is how it should work when the reality is staring us in the face, like you have to, you know, like you said earlier, like we're all different and you have to be sensitive to what works for you. Even with the intermittent fasting versus other types of diets, 
right? Um, don't listen to every single person. Like you can get these ideas and try them, but find out the one that actually makes you feel right. Um, and those are the things that I think. So back to this whole thing with concussions. Yeah, like you want to like there's some basics. There's basic nutritional and supplemental programs that you just want to get right. And the the easy ones are and they're just cheap as dirt out there. Like we're talking the basic of basic supplements. Okay, like it's and then you know the plasmalogens unfortunately are not cheap because it takes a while to make them. But um, they're we're bringing those down in price as well. That's awesome. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> yeah, we just dropped the glia in half. We we want people to get enough of a dose so that there's getting the benefit um, of it. And as we ramp up production, you know, basically it's it's about us being able to not run out. <laughs> we could talk for quite a long time. So, but I we're going to have to wrap up soon. But what I'd like to do is give people some practical information now, right? And I mean, you've given them a lot of practical information, but when it comes to plasmologens, here here's a snapshot of what I'd like to leave, leave the audience with is... I know you have a test, so I'd love to talk a little bit about when the testing is appropriate and how people can get it. And then the second one, the second thing will be, you know, is how do how does a person know, let's say they have a baby who who was not breastfed and they're concerned that this child, you know, it sounds to me like any child could who hasn't been breastfed, especially could use maybe a little bit of plasmologen in their in their drinks you know, for a certain period of time. So how long do we need to supplement plasmologens in a child? And then in an older adult, again, like both on a preventative level. So let's say person A doesn't really have much going on, but they're thinking like, I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, I'm in my late fifties. Is there value in me saying, well, maybe I should shore myself up a little bit for the future versus someone who's already got issues expressing what do they do and how do people find out what to do and how much to take? Correct. So there's lots of information on my website, drgoodnow.com. There'll be videos and, you know, education there. The plasmalgia story is really um, how much and when for, for, for maternal health and early childhood development, um, probably all mothers should be on some plasmalgia. Um, we have some anecdotal evidence that it improves um, breast volume, milk volume, like your production capacity, because if they're only making nines, their breast milk production goes up. Um, the, and I think some of these issues that, you know, breastfeeding and childbearing is a very stressful on the human, on the female body. So I think those things are, are obvious. These should be part of it. And we can measure, you know, we're setting up breast milk tests here so we can actually measure plasmalogens in the breast milk itself. It starts off really high in the colostrum and then it goes down as the as the breast milk matures as, by three weeks it's about half as much as when it was in the colostrum stage but is, could that be that that's because that's what the baby needs like from a natural perspective the baby's you know the 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 body tends to produce what the child needs what i guess we have to watch out for is that the mom's not deficient in a way that it's that it doesn't yeah that's happen. a good question i don't think no one knows the exact answer to that i suspect it's just um Dilution. Yeah. Um, I suspect it's just a matter of, you know, as you produce more milk, it's it's physically demanding. Like it's, it has to be built, made from scratch, and the, the mother needs plasmalogens for their own body as well. So I I suspect just there's going to be distribution, 
okay, of people that can make lots, people that make very little, um, and people in between. Yeah, and then, um, and so in terms of early childhood development, I think, you know, formula, young children should be on small amounts of plasma, like plasma uh, supplementation right away. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's easy. And then, um, because it's just not worth the risk fundamentally, like it's just not worth the risk of having an impaired myelination rate. And so I just, and and then if you have young kids playing sports and all the stuff, um, having some of that intermittently as required, you can blood test. That's no big deal. Um, the, and look for mitochondrial issues and so on. You don't want to overtest the kids, of course. And then um, as you get older, it really is food. Like it really is um, like I'm in my fifties as well. And then it's like, I, I, I go through a bottle of neuro a week. Um, and I think it's a bigger, deeper conversation when you're talking about enhanced functionality, like the cholinergic system, improvement, hypothalamus, human growth hormone, these type of um, your own personal exosomes, right? When people talk about exosome and peptides and, and these things are, your body makes them, right? And so you, you, and a lot of the cholinergic stimulation of the brain, of your pituitary, of, you know, of these different um, brain regions you want to keep those functionally active. And so realistically speaking, it's mostly a cost issue, um, quite frankly. Um, if you can afford plasmalogens, you should be taking them forever. Like I've, my dad's in his mid eighties. He functions like he's, he's sixties. Um, I've been on, he's, he's been on mitochondria, my, my support structure and plasmalogens for a few years now. Um, and so, this is kind of one of those situations. Like, the difference in mortality is 30 years. This is not a trivial number. Like it's a very, very scary number. When you look at plasmalogen deficiency, you just don't want to run the risk. And so we don't know. Okay, this is uncharted territory. We don't know what the improvement of lifespan or improvement of functionality, because up till now, this human brain degradation has been an absolute like a gimme brain wreck right yeah. like it, it just happens like there's no there's no one talks about restoring the human brain right yeah. or refilling the brain like the brain when the brain shrinks it loses fat okay mm-hmm. like when a grape turns into a raisin it gets dehydrated but when the brain shrinks it loses fat it loses these plasmalogens okay and, and it shrinks and so we don't these plasmalogen precursors, okay, have been available for a couple years now, okay, okay. We and so we're already, we're you know, we're going to be doing more and more MRI studies where we can we can backfill the brain, which I truly truly believe we can actually paint by number restore human brain function, yeah. and we're clearly we're clearly seeing it symptomatically, and we're seeing it physiologically, like in terms of inflammation and other things. So that chapter hasn't been written. Um, yeah. I know personally, um, I'm stronger than I was in my 20s. My eyesight is back to where it was when I was 18. I was never had perfect eyesight to begin with. I never get a headache. I'm on a computer all day long. I don't get brain fog, okay? And then these, I don't have pain anymore. And so these things are are real to me. Um, and, and, you know, we do the biochemical testing, so I can check my cholesterol when I first started this year or so ago is around 180, and I was going, whoa. 
okay, doctor, heal yourself here. Like, what the hell is going on here? So now I'm at 210. My HDL has gone from mid-50s to 75. My marker is like, so you can do all this, right? And you can, and so in my, my own personal experience um, is pretty robust. So I'm not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> and so, so that, that's kind of, and so I typically hate the omega threes in the morning. Okay. Cause it gives me function and I, I never get immune to it. It gives me that energy boost. Like the DHA plus melogen is like this. It just kind of opens your brain. It, yeah. Things get brighter. You have focus. Like I'm, I'm an intermittent faster. I typically have my first meal around two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I take most of my supplements on an empty stomach because I like to get that peak. Now everyone's different. I know people can't take supplements on the empty stomach, but for some reason that works for me. That's what I like. And so, um, and then I take the omega nine plus melogens about an hour before bed. I'll take, you know, two, three mils of that. And that's where the brain is rebuilding itself. And I just continue that cycle. Sorry, what do you take in the morning? I take the omega three, the DHA. That's the, that's the performance. It improves your neuromuscular performance, improves your cognitive performance. And then at night, I take the, before bed, I take the omega-9, which is for the myelination process, for the rebuilding process. Okay, so last question for you before we close. So food-wise, are you also saying, would, would does eating, I mean, although it's problematic these days, but let's just leave that discussion aside, is eating fish that's high in omega-3 and consuming a lot of extra virgin olive oil as a starting point? That's great. Yeah. Helpful as well. Like these would be the foods that are more, and even eggs. Yeah. So, so, so. Like egg like, yolk, particular. Yeah. Well, egg yolk doesn't have any plasmalgin in it, but the. the, choline and the yeah. Yeah. The choline is great. So, back to the basic nutrition and lifestyle. The things that are the benef- most beneficial for improving um, plasmalgin manufacturing are the same things that improve general metabolic health. So, intermittent fasting, uh, intermittent resistance training. Okay, like resistance training is is really important. So the things that you would naturally get a high triglyceride person to get down to low or mid triglycerides Mm -hmm. are are, are things that are going to improve paroxysomal function. Fundamentally, plasmalogens are made in your paroxysomes. So those things that improve paroxysomal function will improve your plasmalogens. And then when they when I talk about the N-acetylcysteines and the carnitines and things, those things that other other you know, making sure you have some vitamin C, make sure your uric acid level doesn't get low. That's another one of my pet peeves. People try to get the, like you, you, you want your uric acid between five and six. Like once it gets below four, you're NA, 4.5, you're NAD deficient. But anyway, so you want to, so again, so if, you, if you're, if you've got a good redox capacity in your body, then your body's not excessively wasting plasmalogens. Like you don't want to waste the plasmalogens if you don't have to. So if you can preserve your plasmalogens on one side, Okay, by keeping your redox proper. And if you can improve your production of plasmalogens on the other side by increasing peroxisomal function and metabolic health, then mm-hmm. those are the two combinations that give you the best long-term plasmalogen manufacturing. And those people will have good high levels typically of their own, as long as they don't overdo it. So, so a lot of athletes will have really good function. But if you work out beyond your ability to replace, okay, yeah. you will bring them down. Yeah. Yeah, so, you're feeding yourself. Yeah. Okay, and so that, that's the that's the basic basic program. Intermittent resistance training, proper sleep is going to be critical, so your body can actually yeah. do with the omega nine yeah. to do. And make sure your redox balance, like you know, 
we, we live in a pretty acidic environment. Um, like I'm a big fan of keeping your acidity levels down um, and basic mitochondrial support stuff that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. Well, listen, I have a list of about 75 other questions I'd like to ask you. So we're going to have to do that on another day. We'll have a part two kind of 2.0 plasmologen discussion, but this has been a spectacular tour through the basics in any event to help people understand a little bit about, you know, what is basically like a new molecule that's been that you've discovered and figured out what the heck it does and why is it important. And as I said to as I said to a couple of people, because I was so excited about this podcast, like not only did he figure this out, but he can measure them and then you can tell you how to do something about it. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> and what's really cool is that it's not a placebo. Like, like you, when you take a vitamin, OK, you do it intellectually because you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you okay? have to do it. But yeah. you feel them like you will sleep the first time like you take some at nighttime. You will say, holy crap, I just sunk into my bed. I've slept. And you take the neuro, the, the, the omega-3s, you will feel it. You will feel your brain waking up. I get people saying, wow, I can remember numbers now. Before I, I had to write down phone numbers, I remember numbers. Yeah. You will actually, it's weird because you, you you don't have to wait some intellectual exercise. And I know it's good for me, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. You will actually, you know, you'll actually, you'll actually feel it. Um, and that's, that's kind of neat. Well, you know, and it's interesting because in the bioregulator world, we have bioregulators that support the central nervous system and the brain and the pineal gland. And you have to wonder, what if I added plasmologens back into the mix and did the mitochondrial support at the same time? Now that I'm giving the brain the signal to, you know, to renew and restore and rejuvenate, how much better is that going to happen? Exactly. Like I'm, I'm a big fan and believer of the whole peptide world and, and the other advanced therapies. And my job is to get that that groundwork done, right? And so that when you add these signaling signaling molecules and you actually start directing, you know, you can actually deliver on those signals. And yeah. so you can actually the body can actually fulfill the adaptation that you are um, forcing it into. But yeah, yeah I'm, like that's that's my job. My job is to kind of prevent negatives. Like sometimes what happens if say why isn't this peptide working? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is, is there something dragging its efficacy down? Is there something I don't know about? Like it should be working. It's not working. Well, maybe it's not working because there's another part of your biochemical system that's just underwater. Yeah. And if you bring that back up, okay, then these signaling molecules that are, you know, have good history of working in certain areas, you know, resume their function, if you will. Yeah, well, my analogy for that, seeing as you're the analogy guy, uh, my analogy for that is bringing a contractor in and saying, look, I want new kitchen cabinets and not giving him wood. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's got no wood. He's got a hammer and nails, but he's like, dude, I don't have any wood. I can't. So it's a little bit like that. Exactly. Dan, how do people reach you? So drgoodnow.com, and that's where we have physician training as well we do certifications getting because getting a network of doctors that understand this work um because that's a, a big thing and practitioners yeah. it's not it's just not just doctors and then um the so drgoodnow.com will have education prodrome.com is where you can get supplements um we'll hook you up with a doctor get blood testing done all that kind of stuff um and then um other supplements we'll, we'll have available for people as well exactly. and then and I think uh, the the products are also available on Amazon. So you can get the Glee and the Neuro on Amazon. 
But mm-hmm. um, I always recommend getting involved with one a practitioner like yourself or other skilled people. It, you can't you can't underestimate the power of having someone who's spent some time to think through these things. Yeah. Um, and they really help people identify things they're not thinking about. You know, just getting another another person on your side figuring this stuff out is is really valuable. And I think people should take there's people like yourself, they they know what you guys have spent hours and hours and hours thinking these things through. And so you can't discount the value of someone who's been taking the time to think this stuff through. And the other thing when you deal with practitioners and experts is they have seen multiple different circumstances, yeah. right? And, you know, you are one, I'm one. And, and, but the ability for me to understand myself increases exponentially when I'm able to compare myself to others. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's really the power. And that's why when people get into functional medicine field, um, they've learned all of these tricks, if you will, becomes more of an art, becomes half science, half art yes. to, to get the right path for an individual. Absolutely. And, uh, so Thank that's you. what I always tell people to do. Thank you. And uh, we'll have a discount code for you guys for the for the supplements as well. We didn't, we didn't yep. get it before the podcast, but you probably heard it in the intro. So if you're still here, thank you for still being here. And uh, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a total pleasure and I look forward to our next conversation. You got it, Nat. All have right. a great afternoon. Thank Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.